0: Going to go ahead and get started. The title of our message today is Salted with Fire, which is an expression taken right out of Mark 9:49. Our passage today only consists of two verses which we find at the end of Mark chapter 9. And if you're not there already, I invite you to turn there. These final two verses of Mark 9 have been given much attention over the years because of interpretive challenges that arise i have listened to a few sermons this week and read a a large number of commentaries in hopes of grasping a better understanding i also sent out an email earlier than i normally do requesting that the elders pray and even asked uh care group brothers and other men in the church to be praying also posted a facebook uh request for prayer as it related to this passage And so if you were led by the Spirit to pray for me and for this message, I want to just thank you uh, for that. Under normal narrative circumstances, two verses may not seem like enough to write an entire sermon, but due to the interpretive challenges that we'll face, you'll see that we have more than enough to cover. So without further ado, let's read these verses, Mark 9, verses 49 and 50, and then we'll pray and ask God for his help verse 49 jesus says for everyone will be salted with fire salt is good but if the salt becomes unsalty with what will you make it salty again have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another let's pray and ask god to bless our time in his word gracious father we praise you for the gift of your word We rejoice that we can have understanding of it, yet we also confess that oftentimes there are things that can be difficult for us to understand. We pray that you would illuminate our understanding as we cling to the words of your Son and his instruction. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to discern the true purpose and the authorial intent of this passage. Allow our hearts to be receptive to being challenged as we learn what it means to be salted with fire so that we can apply the appropriate truths to our spiritual walks and exalt Christ and the gospel in our lives. We commit this time to you, asking you to bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, our title is Salted with Fire. What do you think that means? Jesus just said that everyone will be salted with fire in verse 49. So I'm asking you what you believe Jesus means when he's saying that. If you're not exactly sure, let me share that you're in good company. And it's pretty much how I felt at the beginning of my study this week before, uh, before diving in. Here is how I mapped out our time as I looked to the Lord for Insights. We're going to cover three insights into salt and fire so that you understand what it means to be salted with fire. First, we're going to look at the significance of salt and fire. And there's much to learn as it relates to the disciples' understanding and the backdrop to them hearing these words coming from the Lord. Second, it'll be good for us to understand the Lord's physical illustration. Third, what is the end game? What is the outcome? The Lord wants you and I to embrace the commands that he gave to his disciples. There can and should be practical implications for our spiritual lives after we study this text. So let's get started. The first insight so that you understand what it means to be salted with fire comes when we see the significance of salt and fire. Look again at verse 49. Jesus says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Now, before we get to the significance of salt and fire, we need to talk about everyone. Because we've just opened up a can of worms here. You don't know it yet, but I'm going to share with you. If you were studying and doing research on this passage, we just opened up a can of worms and dove in headfirst, trying to figure out what everyone means. Does everyone mean all people? Does everyone mean only unbelievers? Or could it be that Jesus is only referring to believers here? There are theologians and commentators that hold to all three positions. The challenge arises from the context because the last time that fire is mentioned in verse 48 is describing for us the context of hell, which would certainly imply unbelievers, but the bulk of commentators agree that due to verse 50 and the explanation that salt is good and then jesus encourages his listeners to have salt in yourselves and to be at peace with one another that everyone here is limited to true disciples of christ verse 49 continues by saying that everyone will be salted with fire and i want you to notice that salted here Is a verb, it's not a noun. Jesus is gonna mention the noun salt in the next verse, and so it appears to be an intentional play on words when he he uses what's called a cognate, um, the, the, the verb form of the noun. It can also be rendered seasoned. Everyone will be salted or will be seasoned with fire, it's a future passive verb. The fact that it's passive, it means that it's going to be something that happens to a person. Something that happens to someone. The word fire is in the dative form in the Greek. And so it could actually be rendered in, with, or by fire. So a fuller translation might sound something like this. Everyone will be salted or seasoned in, with Or by fire. It's here where we need to understand the significance of salt and fire as the disciples would have understood it. Salt was a preservative. And it was also used to season food. In the age without refrigeration, you can only imagine how important salt was to preserve food. Especially meat from decaying it has also been used to season food throughout history and the ancient near east was no different job says this in job 6:6. can something tasteless be eaten without salt or is there any taste in the white of an egg and all god's people said amen all right you had those healthy egg whites right you tasted them Even Job recognized, like, hey, this needs salt. All my folks with you know hypertension or sodium-restricted diets. You have a a verse now, like, hey, my food doesn't taste good without salt. Now, if you go to verse 50 of Mark 9, and it says, Have salt within you, now you got an argument to take right to your doctor. I'm a believer. Listen, I gotta have salt. It's biblical, it's biblical. No, in all seriousness salt stood for permanence and preservation. One commentator added, when salt is used in a covenant of salt, it always signifies an everlasting covenant. Sorry, I lost my spot here. Perhaps most significant was that salt reminded God's people of his covenant with him and that salt was used with all the Levitical uh passage or, or excuse me sacrifices and I actually skipped over a passage and that's why I caught myself in Numbers eighteen nineteen. and I have these listed are those scriptures in your outline for you so even if I would have missed it you guys would have been able to uh, go back and and read that but in Numbers eighteen nineteen, God's word says all the offerings of the holy gifts, which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. So again, this, this is helping us see something significant. Salt does stand for permanence and preservation, And that's where the commentator added it always signifies an everlasting covenant with salt being an emblem or symbol of perpetuity. The use of salt in an offering would therefore signify the everlasting relation between God and his people. They everlastingly belong to him and he everlastingly belongs to them. End quote. Now I want you to listen to Leviticus 2.13, where the offerings of God's people are mentioned. Here God's word says, Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. Then it says this at the end of the verse, With all of your offerings you shall offer salt. The preservative of salt was a reminder of God's preservation of his people through his covenant with them. And it really provides a beautiful picture for us, doesn't it? Good to think about. It's just something that we use every day to have salt. Just to keep in mind when we see salt, it reminds us of the, of the everlasting covenant that he's made to us through Jesus Christ and the gospel, right? And the new covenant of his blood. The blood of righteousness. The blood that can never be earned, The blood that we have to accept by faith, the blood that we trust in, that can, the only thing that can make us and allow us to have a a legal, righteous standing before God when we die. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing it. It's beautiful. Salt is a reminder. Physically, salt was used to preserve something, and spiritually, salt was symbolic of God preserving his covenant relationship. With his people. Now let us see the significance of fire. Fire, as we've mentioned in past sermons, was used everywhere in the ancient Near East. We talked about the demonized boy who was thrown into water and thrown into fire. It was a source of heat and light that was used for cooking as well as cleaning and purification. In last week's sermon, you'll recall outside the village of Jerusalem in the valley of Hinnom was an ongoing fire, right? And that's what Jesus used to have his listeners think of unquenchable fire. It was continually burning around the clock because they were constantly throwing their trash into there, and it functioned very much like an incinerator. Fire has been a valuable resource throughout history. But the disciples, like the rest of Israel, would certainly think of God when they thought of fire. Not just any fire, but a consuming fire and we see God described this way throughout the Old Testament. When the glory of the Lord appeared on Mount Sinai, God's word says, "And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top, on the mountain top." In Exodus twenty-four seventeen, then in Deuteronomy four twenty-four it says, "For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God." Again, Deuteronomy 9.3. Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. Speaking to the Israelites. God would clear the way. Fire, as most of you already know, was used to consume Israel's Levitical sacrifices. At the beginning of the book of Leviticus, There's five chapters reflect the five sacrifices that Israel uh, was to offer. And you can read about those there in detail. Each sacrifice was burnt and it was described as a soothing aroma to the Lord. The costly sacrifices pleased the Lord when they were offered in faith. And salt was added to each one of them to remind them of God's covenant and preserving work. And the salt physically preserved the sacrifices as it was mixed into them. I grew up on a farm, so even the grain offering, I understand, and those who have had that experience, that there's moisture that gets in there. And then the moisture produces mold. And what it could happen is, then when stuff gets moldy, there's a stench that comes with it. And so they would mix the salt in, it would absorb the moisture, moisture and it would preserve, right? It was. It functioned as a preservative. And then the same, we understand with, with meat, that it, 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 it preserves it. It kept grain from getting moldy so that the quality of the sacrifice was pleasing. It, it kept the meat from decaying so that it gave off a fragrant aroma to the Lord. So this is the picture that the disciples would have in mind when Jesus is talking about something being salted with fire. But notice what it is that would be salted with fire. Would it be a grain offering? Would it be one of the animals proposed in the Levitical sacrifices in Leviticus? No, Jesus referred to people being salted. With fire when he said everyone. This we we can be certain captured their attention. And the point that Jesus is making is that they will be preserved and purified in their service to Christ and others. They're going to be preserved and purified in their sacrificial service to Christ and to others. Their lives will be ones of sacrifice as they follow Christ and lay down their lives to serve him. James Edwards writes, fire and salt both test and prove substances. And because of this, they are helpful metaphors of discipleship. Again, since the fire in verse 49 is no longer a fire of perdition, as in verse 48, but of purification, disciples are to allow the sacrifices inherent in following Jesus to purify their lives. End quote. And by the way, everyone will be salted with fire. This verse is only found in the gospel of Mark. And when we look at the greater theme of Mark, those who have a a past understanding of each gospel has, has its own theme, what is the theme of Mark? Jesus as servant. And so this too makes the most sense when we connect being salted with fire with serving the Lord. So if someone asks you what it means to be salted with fire in the gospel of Mark, so long as you understand the purpose of salt that it preserves, so long that you understand the purpose of fire that it purifies, so long as you understand the greater theme of Mark, which is on servanthood, you have an explanation. You shouldn't forget God preserves and purifies believers in their service to the Lord. Amen? That's, the, that's it. That's what it means to be salted with fire. I'm going to share more about this under our third insight. But first we've got to cover our second one. Our first insight so that we understand what it means to be salt of a fire was to make sure that we understand the significance of salt and fire. The second is this. Make sense of the Lord's physical illustration. Look at the beginning of verse 50. Jesus goes on to say, salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Here again, we need to gain perspective on what their understanding of salt was. Most of us today, our understanding of salt is pretty limited. Pretty much that shaker on the table, right? Or for the ladies or and some of the guys that do, do some cooking, right? There's the, the, the round uh, blue and white salt container with, with that With that awful metal thing on top of the container that I don't know about anyone else, but whenever I try to open up the top of those, is anyone else cursed by those? I I mean, it's painful to, to open up those salt containers. The point is that we get our salt from the store, but the disciples and others during this time period got most of their salt from the Dead Sea, which contained carnalite or gypsum. So consequently, consequently much of the salt used in Palestine was very impure, and after the saline matter had been dissolved away, there remained an utterly worthless sediment to which nothing could restore the saline properties to it. It could no longer be used to preserve food. It could no longer enhance the flavor of Job's egg whites or anyone else's for that matter. It was Totally tasteless and useless. In fact, it was worse than useless. Listen to this. On another occasion, when Jesus is he's using the same expression that he uses here at the beginning of verse 50, here's what else he added in Luke 14, 34 and 35, where he said, Therefore, salt is good, but even salt, even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? Sound familiar? Then he says, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Bad salt was worse than nothing. It had a negative value. It was this kind of environmental hazard that would ruin soil or even a manure pile, so much so that sowing the soil with salt was the ultimate punishment for a defeated enemy, and we see an example of this with Abimelech in Judges 9:45. And I put that verse so you can check it out later. But they they sowed the soil with salt, then it wouldn't be able to to grow anything. That was the ultimate form of punishment. Salt was also a picture of God's judgment. You may recall Lot and his wife, right? Very familiar story. Angel of the Lord peers up, says, you know, th- this place is, is going to go up in smoke. You need, to, you need to head out of here, and you better not look back. And what does she do in, in, in her disobedience? She looks back, right? And immediately she's turned into a pillar of salt. Salt. Again, th- and, and that preserved her as an example for us uh, of disobedience. And how frightening it it should be to live a life of disobedience. Because you will face God's judgment. In Deuteronomy 29.23 it says, All its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. All this is to broaden our perspective from the disciples' viewpoint on gypsum, or worthless salt. You couldn't add salt to the residue of gypsum because there's no way to make it salty again. And in one of the sermons I listened to, the pastor said, imagine sitting in a restaurant and asking the waiter or waitress if you could have some salt for your salt. Yeah, bad salt, right? Can can I get some salt for my salt? He says, you wouldn't do that. And that's the point that Jesus is making. And they understood the physical illustration, and we need to see it too. True salt, pure salt, fulfilled good purposes and functions as a preservative in the world. True disciples of Christ, likewise, are a source of spiritual life for the world. And we recognize this. In many ways, believers restrain evil and preserve the moral order of society, don't we? We do. And we should be as salt. And one day when God's judgment, when the, when the rapture takes place, we're going to be removed. And then you want to talk about how bad it's going to be. That's going to launch into the tribulation. Seven years of God's judgment. Christians can and sometimes fail to function as the salt of the world, and this is what Jesus is warning against. Pure salt won't lose its saltiness. What was used as salt in ancient times, we've learned, contained many impurities. If the true salt were removed, what remained might look like salt, but could not perform the life-giving and life-preserving function of salt. And likewise... A person may have the external appearance of a disciple, but not the internal properties. Does this describe you? Do you look like salt on Sunday? But then there's no trace of salt in your path throughout the week? In your workplace? In your school? In your circles of influence? Spiritually healthy question, right? Right? We're called, Matthew 5.13, to be salt to the world. It's good. It's spiritually healthy for us to, to reflect in my own heart, just to reflect on that reality. How am I making a difference? How is my influence, my spiritual influence, leaving a mark in my workplace, in my school, in my unbelieving family? If you need some help, what would Jesus have you do? Well, this brings us to the third insight in your outline. We're looking at three of them related to salt and fire so that you understand what it means to be salted with fire. We've seen the significance of salt and fire. We've made sense of the Lord's physical illustration. Now it's time to embrace the Lord's commands given to his disciples. Jesus continues in verse 50 by saying, Have salt in yourselves, And be at peace with one another. Here, Jesus gives two commands. The first one presents another interpretive challenge for us. What does it mean to have salt in yourselves? Does salt represent grace? Does it represent the gospel? Does it represent faithfulness? And this is where, if you were me this week and you were reading commentators, you saw a vast array of answers. Some of them simplistic, such as salt reflects common sense. Or loving your neighbor, or friendship and fellowship. To more theologically purposed answers, like the Holy Spirit, or faith in Christ, or a willingness to be sacrificed, or obedience to God's word. It helps that we understand what it means to be salted with fire already and the significance of salt. We said that salt does what? It preserves. Right? This cornerstone, we can talk. It preserves. Yes, salt preserves. And fire, it does what? It purifies. And being salted with fire occurs as a believer serves the Lord. But what does this look like practically? We need to to apply this to the overall context of our passage. Verses 49 and 50 serve as a conclusion to lessons that started all the way back at verse 33. In verses 33 through 37, you'll recall, Jesus challenged the twelve about not seeking to be first amongst others. As he addressed the spiritual pride rooted in their hearts. They were all fighting because they wanted to be first. Then in verses 38 through 41, the lesson continued on their spiritual pride as they tried to prevent another believer who wasn't following them, even though he was effectively doing ministry in Jesus' name, right? Their pride again caused them to hinder another believer. And so this led to the Lord's stern warning about being on or a stumbling block and causing other believers to stumble in verses 42 through 48. And all this is connected. And now Jesus is offering instructions so that they understand practically what he is challenging them to do. Every believer will be salted with fire. You will be preserved and purified in the process as you serve Christ and serve others. What it's going to require is that you have salt in yourselves and this will allow you to be at peace with one another. If you and I have salt within ourselves, we're not going to be fighting about who's the greatest. If you and I have salt in ourselves, we're not going to be contending with other ministries or those who have influence outside our ministry circles. If you and I have salt in ourselves, we won't be scandalon, causing other believers to stumble. Salt here, I believe, and I'm not alone, is an attitude of humility and servanthood rooted in Christ. If you're a note taker, you want to jot that down. Salt is an attitude of humility and servanthood rooted in Christ. True salt Pure salt is an attitude of humility and servanthood that looks to Jesus Christ and his example in the gospel. This is what the gospel of Mark is all about. Looking to the servanthood of Christ so that we can serve God and serve others. And When you and I have this attitude within us, this is true salt. It is what preserves our sacrifice. It's what makes our sacrifices pleasing to the Lord. This is Romans 12.1 all the way. Therefore, I exhort you, brethren, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, which is pleasing and acceptable in whose sight? God's. Pleasing to the Lord. And how can we make our sacrifices pleasing to God? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. How about that? That exact same description. A fragrant aroma soothing to the Lord. Is the description of all five sacrifices that were performed in faith in the book of Leviticus. And when we imitate Christ, and when we look at his humility, and we look at his servanthood, and we lay our lives down, and we don't fight about who's the greatest, and who's gonna get recognition, and who's gonna do this, and who's gonna do that, right? It happens. It happens in the church. it's not salt it's not salt salt again is the humble sacrificial attitude connected to our service to Christ and others and remember what happened if salt wasn't present within a Levitical sacrifice it compromised the purity of the sacrifice right it it, it was compromised An attitude of Christ-like humility and servanthood will also promote peace with one another in ministry. We won't care. We won't care about recognition. In fact, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? Is it not? It's the exact opposite that takes place. We actually celebrate other people. We celebrate when they get recognized. We celebrate them because of their ministry accomplishments. I mean, can you imagine... Everyone gives Marcus Denny so much attention. Why is that? Why don't people? Why aren't people praying for me as much as Marcus? Why? Why is? Why does he have so much clout in the church? Why? You see see what I'm saying? That that that, that's a. There's there's that creeps in. That can creep in. Instead, we we love Marcus. We cherish that brother. We applaud his efforts. We pray for him fervently because we know how hard that soil is to till over in Czech Republic. True spiritual salt connected to truly humble servanthood will celebrate others. And this also helps us keep peace from believer to believer. It was the Apostle Paul who was led by the Holy Spirit to record in Romans 14, 17 through 19, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you know the, the, the context of that passage is there's, there's um, you know, drama that's taking place, talking about the, the conscience and meat sacrificed to idols. We're going to get there because we're studying Romans as as a church. But Paul, led by the Spirit of God, says, but... For the kingdom of God is not about those things. It's not about the ministry differences or how you approach it or how your philosophy is different than mine. What is it about? In Luke 10, after the 70 went out, Jesus says, it's not about you casting out demons. It's rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And here, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, that's what it's about. Verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Wow. That's it. I wish I would have been dialed into that, this passage. When we're just even talking about on. it's not being overwhelmed or concerned about um, what, what others are doing and then trying to make ourselves good by tearing them down. We're trying to find ways to keep peace, maintaining peace, and edifying them and talking about all the positive things that they bring to the table. It is also this same salt and humble servanthood that allows our testimonies to make an impact on believers outside the faith. It was the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Again, led by the Holy Spirit to record, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person when we have salt within us, when we have an attitude of humility and an attitude of servanthood within us, that is what's going to make us most effective. That is, that is against the world. <laughs> that is not what the world does. Say anything. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, say whatever you want. How, how could they cut you off in traffic? How dare they cut you off in traffic? Your coworker, Took credit for something that you did to your boss. How, I mean, how could they do that? How could they do that? I'm gonna I'm gonna go, you know what they're gonna get? They're gonna get a piece of my mind. Yeah. No. No. Salt. Have salt within you. Sacrifice. Die to self, realizing that all the pressures. That, that, and there are many, aren't there? They, they come in all different shapes. I, in my study, next, next week, um, the Lord's going to be addressing marriage. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is really interesting because they send their waves and they're asking about divorce. And I was like, boy, well, talk about some real sanctification going on, how this was strategically put in right before marriage. Sanctifying, isn't it? A lot of, a lot of ways we have to die to ourselves, a lot of ways that we have to grow. Right. Our words are just one of the many ways that we can be used to be salt in this unbelieving word and other actions will follow when we cultivate an attitude of humility and servanthood as we look to Christ and his word. we, We have to be consumed with Christ. We have to be consumed with his servanthood. Well, to conclude our time, can I give you a little homework this week? If you allow me i want to i want to encourage all of us my my own heart included that the passages that are listed in in the bulletin would you take some time this week and just read those texts and meditate and pray about how the lord would have you be salt how he would have you be sacrificial how he would grow you in humility and servanthood those are the things that he'll do in the process And I also want to share a final story. A pastor shared this story as he was reminded afresh of the meaning Jesus placed on being salt. In a conversation with an inner-city pastor, the topic turned to spiritual influence. The pastor told his fellow pastor about his newfound understanding of salt. He described the scenario in which he might accidentally leave a stake On the kitchen counter just before leaving on vacation. Upon returning home, he would be welcomed with a horrendous odor. He would stumble to the kitchen, trying to imagine what could cause such a stench. When finding the meat, he would not blame the meat for being a rotten slab of beef. He would kick himself for failing to preserve the meat in the refrigerator. Christians make plenty of negative comments and vent frustration over the putrefaction of our society. But our culture is simply doing what comes natural, rotting because it has no preservative. As hard as it is to admit, we should quit leveling the blame of decadence on pagans and start asking why the church is not more effectively preventing decay from setting in, end quote. And we all feel the weight of that, don't we? And that's exactly what God has called us to do. Of course, all of our actions as believers get put under the microscope in this camera-filled world. May our actions always be determined by the fact that God's camera is always on our lives as we are salted with fire. May we not lose sight of the fact that as believers, he eagerly awaits each sacrifice that we can offer in our spiritual service of worship. May we each have salt within ourselves this week. May we also be at peace with one another as we seek to glorify Christ and the gospel in our lives. Pray with me. Gracious God, we bow our heads rejoicing in you, thanking you for this time as a church family to rally again around the word of truth. I celebrate you, Father, for guidance, illumination, and understanding. If there was anything that I said that did not honor your word or was off, I pray that it would quickly dissipate from the minds of everyone that's listening. But for the truth, as it relates to your word and what resonates with our hearts, would you keep us from just being hearers of the word and help us to become effectual doers. Then we'll be blessed. Then we'll be able to bring sacrifices to you. And we know that you are a fire. We know that our works one day will be tested before you. We're reminded of this reality. As Paul wrote the Corinthians, that the wood, hay, and stubble will all be burned away. Right and only that which had true salt in it will stand before you, will have substance, the gold, the silver, as our affections and our focus is on Christ and his humility. And you've redeemed us for the very purpose so that we could be salt. And I pray, Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you that you would use your word and you would draw them to faith so that they can make their life count, so that they can see that this entire world and this entire plan is all about you, that they would turn to Christ today, that they would realize that there's no way that they can ever make themselves righteous enough to stand in your presence, but they need the perfect righteousness of Christ and the cleansing of his blood, and they need to be completely covered. No other way. There's no other way that offers such perfection to a thrice holy God. And those of us who have trusted in Christ and his perfect righteousness, it is our desire now to walk in a manner worthy and to exalt his name and to be the salt that he wants us to be. Thank you for his words to remind us to have salt in ourselves and to be at peace with one another. We pray for the grace to do so this week and all the days ahead as believers. Thanking you in the precious name of your son. Amen. Amen.